You're listening to Adoption, Fostering and Tea from the UK's LGBTQ plus adoption and fostering charity, New Family Social. Find us at newfamilysocial.org.uk. Hi, Tim. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. So I was really interested that you came forward uh, to do this podcast. And one of the things that you mentioned about your story is that you and your partner separated after adopting. And I know that for lots of people, there's a whole load of feelings that go with that, including senses of kind of letting the community down almost or something. And I'm really keen to talk about that. But I guess before we do, can we sort of rewind to the point that you were thinking about adoption and how that journey went for you? Yeah, of course. Um, so uh, my ex-partner and I adopted our son uh, six years ago, which uh, time has absolutely flown since then. Oh, so um, much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was, you know, so we went into it not really knowing uh, much about adoption, but um, we sort of laugh and joke about the fact that if it could go wrong, then it did go wrong. It actually took three and a half years to adopt our son, which, you know, is a, is a really long time. Um, we had things like exes weren't willing to give statements, uh, birth parents contested, paperwork was mislaid. Uh, we actually had four different social workers over the period. So yeah, lots of things went wrong, but we very much believe that those things almost were meant to happen because we ended up with our son who was always meant to be with us despite us separating we do feel like he was meant to be part of our family I mean that's absolutely lovely that it it felt like that but it sounds like a nightmare of a process it's funny because I recorded another podcast earlier today and the the couple's story was pretty much you know yeah deciding to adopt was easy and then the assessment was easy and then panel was easy matching was easy and being a parent was easy and I was thinking Wow. <laughs> and we, we had friends who were doing that. We actually had friends who started the process two years after us and, and finished the process a year before us. <laughs> There's no bitter feelings there at all. Honestly. <laughs> Um, it was, you know, it, it was really difficult. And we actually had a match that fell through at one point as well. Uh, and that was incredibly challenging because, you know, you wait, that that was two years into the process and you sort of, it was devastating at the time. But actually, again, you know, we felt that as awful as that time was, it happened for a reason because we ended up with our son, who, who was the one we were meant to end up with. I mean, that's lovely. And in a way, you have to find the silver lining don't you and of course you know once you've got your child then you do sort of look back and think well I'm glad those delays happened because otherwise we wouldn't be this family that we are yeah um, so I'm, I'm kind of glad that you arrived at that but my word it sounds like a bit of a slog um so your child came to you and I guess you were doing parenthood and so on so talk me through like you know those early days and all the settling in and stuff like that yeah, I mean, you know, at the beginning it went, uh, I wouldn't say without a hitch, but uh, no dramatic sort of mistakes. I remember our first week when we were doing matching uh, and we took him swimming and it was a disaster because he <laughs> um, he pooed in the pool. Oh and my God. And we came back to the foster parents' house and they went, you took him swimming in the first week? You're mad, the both of you. <laughs> and we realised afterwards maybe we were a bit ambitious. <laughs> 
<laughs> wonderful. And we had incredibly amazing relationship with the foster parents. And we still um, are in touch with them now. So we celebrate um, our son's sort of adoption anniversary every year. And they're still invited. And we still go for play dates. But it went really well. And we also had a really good relationship with his social worker, who we still keep in touch with now. But so, yeah, it went really well. Um, what happened, so we both took paternity leave. Um, and unfortunately, uh, my ex-partner lost his job a week after we matched oh gosh I'm sorry to hear that. yeah it, it, it sort of turned our world upside down because um I was the main salary uh, earner originally I was going to be the one who was going to be off for two weeks and then back at work we had to change it so suddenly I was going off for a year um which was incredible in many ways but I wasn't actually prepared for it yeah you know and and it, it was so difficult because, of course, at the beginning, you you know, you're not supposed to really spend time with people until you build that bond. So I felt very, very isolated through no fault of my ex-partner at all. It's just I was never meant to be the one who did that. So it was really challenging. I mean, it was wonderful as well, you know, getting to see this little boy learn to walk and learn to talk and, and all these things was incredible. So, um, yeah, and that year just absolutely flew. I, I took nine months off and then went back to work part time after nine months. Uh, and it was the most incredible but challenging year as well. I think you don't, you, no one prepares you. Get your adoption training about life story work, but no one actually prepares you for what parenthood is like. As amazing as no. it, you know, it's really challenging as well. Yeah, it is. It's absolutely exhausting. I think anyone can be a great parent for an hour. Yeah. Um, but it's the relentlessness that kills you in the end, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, and so if it's okay to ask, I guess at what point it, afterwards did you and your partner start to think that perhaps separating would be the right thing to do? And how much was that complicated by the fact that you had adopted? Um, so things sort of started to go wrong. Uh, my ex-partner got a, a job in London three days a week. And so not only was, this was a couple of months into the adoption, uh, not only was I suddenly unexpectedly being the one who was off work, I was then for three weekdays completely by myself. Right. Um, uh, and I found that incredibly difficult. Um, I've always struggled with sort of loneliness um, and being alone. So not only was I having the parental stresses, but I was also feeling increasingly isolated. And it, it started to drive a wedge between us. And this went on for about two or three years. Um, I, I have put my hands up since my mental health wasn't great, but I also didn't want to deal with it. I wasn't in the place where I wanted to deal with it. And so instead of talking to people and saying how lonely I was and how difficult I was finding it, I just shut everyone out. And I put on this sort of front when I was with everyone. And of course, then that anxiety and those difficulties, they just, they eventually come out, you know, and they come out in different ways. And so that happened. And then, and our relationship just started to disintegrate, really. Um, there were increasing amounts of arguments going on. And, and then the real nail in the coffin for me was, um, was infidelity. Unfortunately, I discovered that my ex-partner hadn't been faithful all of the time. And that was was it for me. I, I knew I needed to go because I knew that I couldn't live like that anymore. And actually, the biggest thing for me was that I realised I wasn't being the best parent to my son. Uh, and actually, 
our relationship was declining very, very quickly because of what was going on in my romantic relationship. So um, I took the incredible difficult decision three years ago to leave and I just, I sort of left. And I think lots of people were shocked because I'd hid it so well. They do realise now, looking back, that my mental health was not great because of things that happened. And I'm not totally innocent in all of this. You know, I did wrong things as well. But the problem was I wasn't talking about it. I was not telling anyone about it. And unfortunately, uh, the relationship suffered because of it. That sounds like a really, really hard time. And I'm sorry that, you know, you went through that. It sounds really difficult and really isolating, especially if you did feel that you couldn't really talk to many people about it. Yeah, it it really was. And, you know, it's a big thing, particularly with men. And I think, you know, as being a gay man as well, you have that already many of us, you know, I grew up in Bridgend in the 90s. And it's something I often say to people is there were no gays in Bridgend in the 90s. Um, So, you know, there was already that mental health pressures from there where I had to hide my sexuality until I was 21 so you know and I think that particularly with men though men it is a culture of not talking about feelings I'm really glad to see that that is changing quite dramatically now I think it still is there but I'm glad to see that it is changing for the better and I, you know I've made real strides in the last couple of years to tackle that. I've had regular counselling and I know that because I sought out my mental health, I'm a far better parent to my son. Uh, and that's what I want. You know, there's a lot of research sort of that shows that parents who are separate and have a healthy relationship are far better parents and their children are better adjusted than couples who stay together and it's toxic. And I think that's really important to remember. Yeah. And I mean, I think the very fact that you're doing this podcast and talking so openly about something so difficult suggests a complete turnaround, perhaps from where you once were. Yeah, it is. I, I'm a completely different person. Um, I'm very open about my feelings. And I sort of last year, I got to the point where I dated a few people and things happened. But actually, I finally realised that I was ready to be, you know, not a single dad as such, but a dad who was single then. And and I was happy with that, you know. Mikey, my son and I, we, we had great time together. You know, we had Christmas in, in the middle of the summer, you know, and we, got, we had to isolate. So we decided to have Christmas for a week. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> We had the Christmas tree, the decorations, we had Christmas dinner, the lot. Um, it was great. And and I, I was having such fun with him. I actually finally settled into going, do you know what? Being alone is fine. Uh, and actually, I have a lot of fun being alone. And I'm actually a better parent than I was before. And, and it's, that's, that's not down to my ex. And I don't blame him at all for that. It was just because I was not in the mental space, unfortunately, uh, for that at the time. Yeah, I'm curious about, you know, because you said, first of all, about being alone was a real trigger. Loneliness and being alone was so difficult. And then finding comfort in kind of being alone. That's that's a huge challenge. It was. And and it it took a lot of soul searching and a lot of really hard counselling. And I did get to the point where my anxiety was so high when I was alone that I would be in a room in an evening with a hoodie on in the dark because I was feeling so low being alone and I knew things had to change. Uh, And it was what really made the difference for me was when my son told me that I looked sad all the time. And I thought, oh, my gosh, if he is noticing this as a six year old, this needs to change. Um, So, yeah, I signed up to counselling and it was really hard. 
to I had to open up about things I'd never talked about with anyone and really dig deep. And, you know, it took sort of four or five months of counselling, I would say, to make any tangible difference. But, it, you know, it got to the point in August, um, I, I arranged a holiday for myself that my counsellor set me the challenge of going away for a weekend. And I ended up booking a, a week holiday to Barcelona by myself. Um, but wow. I'm very competitive, you see, so I have to win. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it was a real changing point for me. It, it was. I did that challenge and I had the most incredible week. Uh, it was amazing. Um, and I came back and again, I, I felt I was a better dad because of it. And then a couple of months later, I met my current partner. Um, and it is a completely different dynamic and a complete different relationship where I'm at the point where if I have a bad day, I will say and I will say why and I talk through my anxieties. And it's completely different. I no longer fear being alone. I still have slight issues with it. You know, I'm not, we all have things we need to work on, but certainly because of the journey that I've been on and the support I have for my current partner, those things are now manageable and I can be the dad that I want to be. I think that's really, really, really interesting. And it it sounds almost like you entered a new relationship with a new person, but you entered it as a new person as well. Oh, definitely. I am not recognisable. And my best friend says that. He, he We've had many conversations about sort of two years before I left, I was not me at all. And everyone could see it. But because I wouldn't open up about it, there was very little that they could do. Um, because I wasn't in the headspace to deal with it, unfortunately. And I do feel like a different person. I do. I, you know, I have a lot of anxiety hangovers from that previous relationship, unfortunately, and I'm dealing with that in counselling at the moment. But I do feel like there's there's hope in the future. I, I, you know, I love my life. I look forward to my life. Certainly being on my own now is not the dark place that it was uh, a couple of years ago. No, I mean, you sound so optimistic and so um, kind of on it, you know, acknowledging that there's stuff going on. And my friend came around a few weeks ago and, um, you know, she's had her ups and downs mental health wise for years. And she read a book by uh, someone called Brené Brown, I think. And it's about feelings and stuff. Yeah. And um, I'm going to misquote this catastrophically. So um, but (laughs) it's something about living vulnerably and living bravely and that thing about daring to be vulnerable in front of other people. And it was also about like organizational culture and daring to be vulnerable at work, daring to be in a powerful position and vulnerable and all of those things. Now I'm quoting it secondhand and probably wrongly, but it really resonated that thing of actually this thing of being perceived to be made of stone is actually not good for anybody. It's not good for the person who's performing it, nor for the people who are witnessing it, because we're all vulnerable, we're all scared, and we're all lonely sometimes and all of those things. And I think daring to sort of say that out loud is is just immensely good for everybody. It is. And and it was really interesting looking back. So um, the uh, social services uh, uh, who arrange the adoption throw a huge summer party uh, and a Christmas party for all the adopted children. And and every year I've made some real good friends there. I remember looking back, going to them when things were really bad, actually saying how amazing things were. And I now I think back and I go, you were lying. You you were on this show and actually probably if you'd have said something to one of those people they could have been there to help you but you just had to you know it, it was as you said just being stone yeah everything's great everything's great uh, Mike is brilliant you know relationship is great uh, and it wasn't and actually those people probably could have understood more than anyone else you know but the, unfortunately that's 
part of I'm glad society is changing that we are being more vulnerable and we are able to talk about it um, but unfortunately we do still have those hangovers from where that wasn't done and then where it wasn't almost acceptable yeah absolutely no I agree with you completely and I did the same when, when I was really struggling didn't tell anybody you know absolutely hid it and it's it's the worst strategy and yet somehow it's the strategy that lots and lots of us arrive at you know the best thing to do is not admit that this is happening maybe it's just the fear that by saying it it makes it real or something I don't know yeah yeah possibly and I think certainly I wasn't in the headspace to deal with it then you know the thought of breaking up that family was most terrifying thing in the world to me yes um and because I'd feel like I'd let everyone down and and there was such pressure to do it so it was better to say stoic and and to suffer in silence really I mean that's what I thought I realize now that that was not the right thing to do but at the time I sort of convinced myself that that was what the right thing to do was yeah absolutely and I mean obviously it's much more complicated once you've got a child and so um how did you navigate that in terms of the split and your child and you know discussing it with them but also just all of the arrangements around that I think the the biggest thing was all the way through I've um sort of used the social worker and adoption UK I mean the, the some of the people who run the adoption UK helpline in Wales know me by name okay. um, <laughs> um and I'm actually uh, restarting to be a volunteer for them um, oh, to sort of pay back because they literally were there at every step of the journey. And they didn't necessarily always have the answers, but they would sort of help me talk through how I could approach things. And I didn't always do things right. And I still make mistakes now. But I think what we did very early on was arrange a routine. So there were fixed days straight away. Um, and also being flexible with each other. And even at times where we, we don't get on very well because our relationship, as a lot of people who have separated, are it, it's sort of very fluctuating and up and down, but always been flexible. So, oh, I want to go on holiday. Yes, that's absolutely fine. Or I'm going away for a weekend. Can you look after him? Uh, so we've always tried to maintain that routine, but that flexibility. Uh, and we, we have still three years later have issues between us um like it's not particularly great at the moment we're not really on speaking terms however when it comes to Mikey our son we speak and there in in three years of being separate there has never been a point where we haven't been able to have a conversation about him because at the end of the day he would be the one who would suffer because of it and every now and again we've had to say to each other right hang on a minute come on we need a conversation about this because whatever our beef is can never impact on him and um, we're both on the same page with that and I mean that's great that despite um you know an aftermath that sounds actually really difficult that you have been able to do that because I guess it would be really easy to pull away even from that you know it takes quite a strength of character to rise above those difficulties and still maintain communication where it really matters yeah it is and <laughs> don't always rise above this occasional <laughs> you know slip up that happens but it is and and sometimes like you know I'll get messages and I'll just have to bite my tongue and just go actually I'm not getting into this because clearly you're just having a bad day and you're taking it out on me and if I bite back things are just going to go bad and I'm sure the same happens on his side you know that he has to bite his tongue when I say or do things and because at the end of the day whatever our family looks like Mikey is in the middle of it and we cannot, no matter what happens with us, he cannot be impacted anymore by it. He needs to see that we are both healthy and happy um, and that we can have conversations with him about it. Um, and he is very open with us. If he's got a worry, he will say to us straight away, 
um, about us. And we, we're very open with the conversations about him. We've always been very open about all his life story work and everything like that, because uh, he's at the centre of it all. I think that I think that's fantastic. And I think, you know, that's testament to the fact that you can even go through a very difficult split and make something work on the other side. So I think that's really kind of useful for people to hear. I think one of the things you sort of touched on it briefly, but I've heard it from other people as well. People within New Family Social have kind of said, I've split from my partner and I feel like I've let the side down or we had somebody who was doing a kind of prominent role within New Family Social and split from their partner and then said they kind of offered their resignation from the role because they felt like they weren't putting across the right face of queer adoption, if you like. And it it was heartbreaking, really, because, of course, that's the right face. All of the faces are the right face, you know. And I, I really felt for that person. And I just wonder how prevalent that belief is that if we're not remaining in our relationship and putting forward the perfect image that somehow we are just letting down the entire LGBTQ community. Yeah, and I absolutely see where that comes from. I think that, you know, we have fought for equality for so long, but also the equality that we have is very fragile. You know, we we only have to see what's happening in, in the United States, you know, to see that actually people's rights can be pulled away from them at a whim and um, my current partner often says that we are one parliamentary act away from our lifestyle being illegal again and I think we so you know we have to fight for so long and I think people do bear that in mind but and what I find interesting when people say they're going to adopt the reaction when you're a gay couple uh, and you adopt is so big and explosive because it's still such a wow thing that there is this instant pressure that, oh my gosh, people are making such a fuss of it. You know, I remember when I when I went off on paternity leave, the presents I got on the cards were far more than any woman had had for having a, getting pregnant, having a baby. I remember going, oh my God, this is quite actually overwhelming because they were so proud that this could happen. So there is that huge pressure then. And I, and I do remember thinking of going wrong, apart from the impact on Mikey, was what are people going to say? Because it is difficult. Uh, and I remember for a long time going, oh, but we'll get back together because we have to get back together because that's where we should be. Not because we were in a healthy relationship or would be in a healthy relationship, because actually that's the right thing to do. And actually, I finally come to terms that no, it's not the right thing to do. The right thing is actually we are separated, but we can bring up our son in a really healthy way. You know, he's got two gay dads and um, he's got amazing friends and family around him. And we have to get rid of that guilt when a relationship is not right and it's unhealthy. You can't stick with it, whether you're gay, lesbian, trans, straight. It doesn't matter what you are. At the end of the day, an unhealthy relationship is an unhealthy relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it does take a load of courage to say that. It takes a load of courage to not present that quotes, big, massive quotes, perfect image. Um, But I think it's really important that people stand up and say, this is a different kind of perfect or this is a different kind of good or whatever it is that we're striving for, different kind of good enough. And be honest about, you know, all of the bumps in the road, because I think so many people have them. And that kind of perfection, I don't think does any of us any favours. No, definitely not. Um, And this, again, is where we have to be careful in society where mental health problems come in because of undue pressure in the wrong places. Um, And I think as a community, we need to address that and be supportive of each other. 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, again, it takes people to speak out, doesn't it? It takes people to dare to say, it happened to me. I was there. I'm there right now, you know, which is sometimes harder as well, isn't it? To say, this is not just a thing that I went through five years ago, but to say, I'm going through something right now. It's really terrifying. Oh, it definitely is. And and I very much am a proponent for talking about mental health. So, for example, on my personal Instagram, I have, I still put on if I'm having a really bad day. But And the messages I get are not only of support, they're probably 50-50 support, but also other people saying, oh, thank you for writing stuff like this because I'm going through a bad day as well. Um, because it does help to see that other people are going through the same thing um, and, and just to know that you're not the only one and, and there are other people out there who are going through similar uh, and just to know that makes it so much easier. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, so it sounds like you've kind of reached you know, a point where that's that's functioning and albeit that perhaps it could be easier at lots of points, it sounds like a really functioning thing and you're in your new relationship. How was it beginning a new relationship in the context of having an adopted child? I had to be very careful. Uh, what's really interesting actually is uh, my uh, current partner is adopted. And so that very much what worked there was that he had a very much understanding that we had to take this sensitively and slowly. At every point, I was thinking about the impact. So they didn't actually meet for five months, and I didn't even mention his name. Um, There was no mention. The first time it happened was Mikey saw a photo of my phone and us together and went, who is that? And that was about after five months. And I had to make a decision there and then of going, how do I do this? Do I say he is my friend and then go from there? Or do I say he is my boyfriend and go from there? And if you read, because I read every article, I think, on the internet, um, and there's about a 50-50 split. And I think you just have to do what feels right for you and for your child. And I felt, actually, I think I need to be completely honest here. So I was honest. I said, oh, this is a boy who I've met who I'm going on dates with and is my boyfriend. And it was just like, okay, yeah, I'm going to play my <laughs> Oh, you need to ask me questions, drill me. Yet. No, not and, and and that sort of it built from there. And then I put a photo up on the wall a couple of weeks later, and I sort of dropped his name randomly into conversations, not making a big deal out of it, mm. just randomly. And then um, the the biggest thing I did was I spoke to my ex, and I said, "Look, I I want them to meet. Is that okay?" Now, if he'd have said no. <laughs> I'm not 100% sure what I've done, but actually he said yes, that's absolutely yeah. fine. Um, and he met. The same thing as when we went for our first weekend away. I spoke to my ex and said, look, I want to book a weekend away for my birthday. Is that okay? I think that was incredibly important, having that dialogue with your ex, because actually I can't imagine many would say no as long as you're being sensible. You know, if it had been after a couple of weeks, I would have, you know, and he said no, he'd be absolutely within his rights. Yes. Um, and actually my partner has now moved in. Um, But I had that conversation with my son saying, okay, I'd like him to move in. How do you feel about that? And actually, he did bring up some worries. And he was like, but does that mean that I don't see daddy as much anymore? And so it was really important that before anything happened, we had that conversation. Uh, And also, since he's moved in, very much still making time for ourselves so the two of us still going to places together just the two of us that has been very very important so it's been very slow uh, bit by bit and very much letting my son dictate the pace of it 
I think that's really nice. It sounds like you handled it really, really sensibly. And I love those sentences. You know, I've done so many of them with kids that, you know, it appears to be a casual throwaway comment that you've been planning for the last 17 weeks. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, no, I know those sentences. Um, So in terms of your partner, what's their role in relation to your child? So for example, are they a step parent to your child? Are they your partner? You know, is it, is it like a family friend or an uncle type relationship? I'm just curious as to what form that's taken and whether that's changed over time. And this has been the difficulty area, um, has been because of Mikey's background, he finds navigating relationships quite difficult. So relationships either he uh, become too distant or too close, he finds it very difficult to get that balance right. And so at the moment, they're very much, I would say it is like an uncle relationship. I'd never thought of it actually until you said it. I think that's where it is. However, on Father's Day, we did have to have a conversation before what he was. And then he went to my ex and said that he was his stepdad, which my ex hit the roof about. Um, And that's been, to be fair, the only sort of stumbling block we've had. I mean, he will be Mikey's stepdad, and we don't call it that at the moment. Sort of Mikey is settled on the name Bonus Dad. That's That's nice. That's lovely. It was on actually a card on Etsy <laughs> that it came with. But it very much is still calls him by his first name, you know, and I don't anticipate that changing. But it is, you know, he's starting to do little things like he's going to drop him to school for the first time on Monday. You know, um, I'm happy leaving them in the house together. But again, it's very, very slowly very bit by bit so it's not overwhelming for either of them because it must be difficult for my partner because never having children and suddenly you've got an eight-year-old yes. all the eight-year-old wants to do is talk about minecraft so uh, yeah you know it is and and but he's very very patient especially because of his adopted background really understands that we have to be very sensitive about this and things will go wrong and we will make mistakes but we'll deal with them together I think that sounds really like you've managed to walk a very difficult path and pick your way through it and, you know, keep moving forward, I guess, which I think is fantastic. And you sound just so positive. It sounds like life overall is a really happy place. It really is, you know, Um, and, and, you know, like everyone, we have our own difficulties, Um, but it is really good. You know, it it was funny, actually, just before we recorded this, I was in the kitchen with my boyfriend and he said, oh, my God, I miss Mikey. This is the first time I've really realised that he's not here because he's with my ex and I really miss him. Oh. And it was such a, a beautiful moment, just that. And the other day, Mikey left a note to the both of us saying how much he loved us. You know, to both of us, for the first time, he'd said that to him. So it's, you know, the, those beautiful moments. And But then the other times, it's just when the three of us are sat watching TV and there's nothing special about it. It's just us. And no one's even talking, which my son talks a lot. So when he he isn't talking, it is magical, just as magical as when he's talking and saying amazing things. But it is those moments and you have those sort of wonderful moments. And then you just have those mundane day to day moments, which sometimes are just as magical. I mean, that sounds just great. And I'm so I'm so pleased that you've made it all work and that you sound like you're in such a better place. I guess if you had advice for someone, if if there are people who listen to this who are in the process of separating or perhaps thinking that they ought to, I just wonder what advice you would have for people at that point. I mean, certainly, I think, you know, if I was talk to myself back then, it would be before the separation point is talk to your partner 
because actually there may be a, a route out, you know, there may be something that's fixable or doable. But if there really, really isn't, I'd say you have to do what's right for you. But also just for everything you do, consider the repercussions, consider the relationship with your ex, because at the end of the day, they are going to be in your life forever because of your child and you have to be able to work with them. So be considerate of their feelings um, and you will make mistakes. Be prepared to apologize, even if it sticks in your craw, you know, really don't be afraid to apologize because at the end of the day, the most important person in all of this is the child or the children. And you need to make it work for yourself, but also you need to make it work for them. That's absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me, for being so open and honest about your journey. No, thank you very much for having me. It's great to talk about. I'd like to thank my guest today, Tim. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five star review and share it with your friends. Follow us on Twitter at LGBT Adopt Foster and on Facebook search New Family Social, all one word. Visit our website at newfamilysocial.org.uk. Adoption, Fostering and Tea is produced by New Family Social. The presenter was me, Tor Doherty, with music from Matt Doherty. The producers were John Jenkins and Lucin Robbins-Dyer. We'll be back next time with more guests and more tea.